0: These questions that we're gonna talk about today are things that have bothered me for a really, really long time. And I'm gonna start out by asking you some questions. And those questions are, can I personally be gruntled or combobulated? Or can I be epped? Can I be habilitated? Because we know I can be disgruntled and I can be inept, which which that that's very clear, and I can be rehabilitated, but can I be those other things? We we have these words that seem to exist with prefixes but don't seem to exist in in the form of, I guess, their root form, you could say. And we, I'm not the only one who wonders about this. We've gotten a lot of emails from people about exactly this sort of word. And if you tell me that, it depends, then I'm going to hang up right now because I want to... It depends.
2: ah, (laughs) All right. Goodbye. Gotta go. (laughs) Well, actually, also, Fletcher, if you went back into time, many of those words you could say. So we might say, if you're a time traveler, you'll be fine.
1: It depends, though, again, Ross. I'm going to keep going back to my it depends. But even in there. some cases, yeah, you won't right. be fine.
2: <laughs> you can't be combobulated at any
0: period in time. There, There is no combobulation whatsoever.
2: Well, I guess even there, it depends. It's a humorous thing. And then, Kathy, didn't you mention something about a combobulate?
1: Yeah. Um, uh, 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 Karen uh, wrote to us and just said that in the Milwaukee airport, she sent a photograph. It's fabulous. There's a sign in the Milwaukee airport that says, Recombobulation area. So it's not combobulation, it's recombobulation. It's right after you go through security. You can put your belt on, your shoes on, your laptop back, your carry on, all that. Yeah, I, so, I imagine
0: that being in an airport and going through all of that really does necessitate some recombobulation.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> but combobulate is um, not really, people um, try to figure out where we got discombobulate. And no one's quite sure. Um, Some people say it could be like a humorous thing from discomposed or discomfit. Someone put out there that it could have come from the Italian word, and I'm gonna butcher this, scombusolato, which has the same definition. It means someone whose compass is discomposed or someone who has no compass. Wow. that seems like a stretch to me. Okay, so so
0: discombobulated doesn't... There was no combobulated. The, the, it, it, the, the word itself, discombobulated, sort of developed a, a, in itself. It, it, it wasn't a prefix put on the word combobulated.
2: Right. No, not. But in general, the words that we're mentioning did have the root word. And what tends to happen with English, which is like one of these, uh, you know, grasping languages, a lot of these words came often from the uh, Latin or via, or Latin via the French, and the word came all kind of in a package. It already had the dis or the re in front of it, like rehabilitate. We were asked about that one, rehabilitation. It came into English with the re on it. The habilitation part didn't. And in that case, um, you can't really strip off the prefix and have a word. Other cases, such as... Um, I think uncouth, there was an original couth and the untacked onto it became a word and then the couth
1: sort of died out. But interestingly enough, now this is a case in a lot of them, as Ross said, you know, often it was the the, the, the word without a prefix. Couth meant known and familiar and uncouth was unknown or foreign or strange. Um, and then couth faded out and uncouth stayed. But often you get, we've talked about this before, back formation, when um, they go backwards and 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 make the word after the fact, and Max Beerbohm, the um, humorist, came out with "couth" in the late eighteen hundreds, and then um, Judy Holiday, Born Yesterday, when she gets uh, you know the film where sure, you, yeah. she's like talks like that, she goes, "I'm every bit as couth as you are." So it became like funny to use "couth" because everybody only knew "uncouth," but actually they weren't being as funny as they thought because couth was a
0: word a thousand years ago <laughs> uh-huh. yeah <laughs>
2: actually i'm gonna throw something out here can you guys think of a, there's an english word that's sort of related to couth uncouth i mean that we use almost every other day and you might be ignorant of it but there is a word give us a hint <laughs> you might be ignorant of the word that's derived the same way from uncouth ignorant ignorant
0: Oh, you're saying it right now. Ross. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, ignorant is actually derived from the same. A part is knowing. And ignorant, the gnor part, the ignorant part is knowing as well.
0: Oh, of course. Sure.
2: And that makes sense. And the ig in the front of ignorant is not knowing. And the un in front of cooth is not, was originally not knowing as well.
1: Unkempt is another one that was a word first. Like uncouth. You had camped.
0: There were things that were kemped. Um, so, yeah. So sort of in order, uh, orderly
1: yeah tidy okay it actually technically meant combed which makes sense when you when you hear the word sure of course yeah but yeah it it was taken over to be tidy and then um in the 16th century you had kempt became ill kempt and well kempt and then it became unkempt and kempt sort of just sort of died out but it's still technically a word you find it rarely and I have a feeling again, people are more often using it, thinking they're being sort of cute. Mm-hmm.
2: We found one thing from the Times of London uh, from nineteen seventy-five, so it's a while back. But artificially beautified people looking kempt and highly colored for the hairdressers trade fair, and they did. And it seems like that was used in a not even in a particularly funny way. I think they sort of meant it. I don't know.
0: And it doesn't seem out of place, honestly. When you read that sentence to me, it just makes sense in in the context of that sentence.
2: Completely. But we have some words that are like really problematic with these back formations. Kathy mentioned back formations and there's occasionally really good back formations such as flammable. Because it used to be inflammable, we used to be generally used and quite obviously inflammable sounds like the in means not. So that's a really very bad mistake. Most of us know inflammable means flammable. But it seems, why do you even bother having the N on it?
0: I remember specifically when I was in elementary school, probably second grade, and uh, m- my father taught at the school I went to. And I remember in the bathroom, there was a large yellow metal case. And on the case, it said inflammable. And I, I asked him, what does that mean, inflammable? And he says, well, it means those things will catch on fire. And I said, but wait, that, that doesn't make any sense. But those things are f- are <laughs> flammable. And, and it really didn't connect with me then. And of course i've I've always wondered how how those two words coexisted. and And are you saying that originally the word was inflammable, but we've turned it into flammable?
2: Yes, the original word comes from the Latin, and it's inflammable. Now here's the problem. in in Latin can be can have basically two basic meanings. The first oh. one means not.
0: Right. That's the one we all know.
2: Yeah, that's the one we tend to know. And the other one can mean um, kind of causative or intensive. Intense. It makes it or into, and in that case, inflammable comes there. And this means like it it's sort of causes to become flammable. So we use that, so we, can, we took the word from the Latin and we used it to mean causes to become flammable, which is obviously flammable. But for example, it's sort of interesting because I was just looked it up just now. There is an early English word, uh, implume, which meant to feather in the 1600s. And there's also
1: another English word, implumed, which means unfeathered. So this problem isn't. Well, that's like inflammation. We don't, I mean, inflammation is not confusing. You never say flammation.
2: No, it's to co- but inflammation means to cause to be inflamed. But in some cases, right. the in kind of got gut problematic. They had uh, inanimate means. We say it means not, li- you know, not full of life, lifeless. But I just saw it here. John Donne, the poet, used inanimate to mean infused with life. So you have to get rid of that. That in is the is sort of the bad in for uh, purposes of of burning up things.
0: It does seem like I mean I can't think of a lot of words though that we that we have that in prefix on that that don't mean not at not. this point.
2: No, they're not many, and, I, and that was the whole point with like implumed meaning you know, to feather. I mean, English got rid of a lot of those because of that confusion. Mm -hmm. John Donne, I think, is the only guy who used inanimate to mean infused with life. The rest of us use it to mean no life. So we got rid of it in this case. Inflammable is the biggest case of this, and we got rid of the in and make it
1: flammable now.
0: I wonder why people even bother still using inflammable.
1: Yeah, They actually started phasing it out in the 20s and majorly in the 80s because it was so confusing. And, and I agree with you. It seems like what's the point at this point, and other than the fact that it's been around? I rarely
2: see it. I'm just looking it up right now. I
1: rarely see it.
2: But it is odd to me that you do see inflammation all the time. But we, and we clearly know inflammation to mean flammation. Yeah, we don't
1: ever see flammation, which, I mean, I wonder if it's flammation even a word. I never bothered looking it up. I suspected it's not.
2: But that's interesting, because that's that's one case, Fletcher, that answers your question completely. That's a case where it's a not not meaning a knot. It's clearly the other meaning. Yes, that's Kathy's true. Kathy's right.
1: Okay, flammation is, is is a very unused word. I mean, it's been around, but it does mean what, exactly what you would think it means, like setting something on fire igniting. So it's just that it's not used.
2: So inflammation is, is, a, is I think, probably the premier example of a in not being used as a knot. That sounds really weird to say, in not being used as a knot, but I think that's one very good case of it.
0: So we've got all of these words that... Uh, uh, Ultimately, it's not particularly surprising that the form without the prefix existed at some point and it sort of just got phased out just because we had maybe other words to use or they just weren't as useful to us anymore. I'm kind of interested in what you mentioned with uh, habilitated and rehabilitated words that maybe came into English with out that non prefix form at all. I you said you said there rehabilitated uh, never came into English. It was it was always rehabilitated. Are there other words uh like that that maybe we think are, are words with uh prefixes on, you know, on other words that that we used to use um that that simply we just never used that 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 more or less came into came into English or exist only in English in that prefix form?
1: Well, non-plus comes to mind, but that's not really a prefix. It sounds like it's a prefix word, and I think a lot of people think there's plus.
2: Oh, tell us more. Yeah that's, fake, yeah, that's a fake prefix in a way, yeah. Yeah,
1: no, exactly. Yeah. Prefixes can really be, like, discombobulate one. <laughs> well,
0: talk, talk about that one a little more, because that's definitely something that I've wondered about, about all of these words, is which one's... Don't actually—they aren't actually prefixes. They just look like prefixes, and we think they're prefixes, but they aren't.
2: Well, non-plus is definitely one, and that comes from the Latin again, which is non, n-o-n, which is not or no, and then plus, which is more, and so it means, in effect, um, not more.
1: Can't go further,
2: basically. And it's like you're you're basically discombobulated.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because it, it came, as Ross said, it came from the Latin, and it became a, an archaic English verb, non-plus as one word, yes. from the phrase that Ross was just exp- doing in, in Latin, which I can't pronounce.
2: But we tend to think of the plus as being, like, if you're not plus, the plus is a verb, and it's not. It originally comes from, is, it's originally just a particle saying, I mean, it's a word just saying not more or more.
0: Right. So it's self-contained as nonplussed. It's not It's not two parts put together.
2: Right. I'm going to throw out some words here that we don't think of that we got as a whole package include with the prefix and we would never use the um, we don't really think of it, but we never use the original portion of the word. Receive, disgust, and admit. All of those have prefixes, and we never say sieve, gust, or mit no one ever asked about them because we don't think of them anymore at all as being words with a prefix but they obviously are Mm -hmm. deceive receive
0: don't go so far to say they obviously are because i honestly never would have thought about it when you when you lay it out like that i can see how they are but oh
2: that's what i mean i mean they're obviously when you think about it but when you don't think about it you just think of them as words yeah i never
1: deceit i'm And deceit. Deceit. deceit.
2: No, we never we never think of those. And those are all I mean, those are words which have which have prefixes and they came happily into the English language with them.
1: And uh, we never think of what happened. How'd they get there? In English, it's not a prefix word. I mean, it came in w- with with the dis or the d in it. It's not. It's not a word.
2: Yeah, they all came in with the, the d or the dis or the re the re in it. What about disheveled? Disheveled would be um, would be cheveux, which is hair. Uh, so it would be like unhaired or undes in Latin apart and chevel capillus capillus would be the hair in Latin. So it came from like
1: without hair, okay, without having your hair made nice, without a hairstyle. I would think.
2: Yeah, and is there shovelled? Well, there's cheveux in French, which is hair, and then, you know, you go back to Latin with uh, capillus.
1: But there's not really. But this this is a case where, like as Fletcher was saying, these really don't have a root without it. They really these really are come to us intact. But they're
2: they're tightly bound to the word, and you're never going to split them apart. If you do, right. you're really okay. in trouble.
1: I'm gonna. I think that we should try to bring out shoveled now, though. Somehow, <laughs> there must be a way. Disturbed is another
2: one. Well, especially
0: with these these dis prefixes that you're mentioning. We had another uh, another listener, Todd, who wrote in and mentioned words like dissemble uh, or dissimulate, which I actually don't know the word dissimulate. But he mentioned he mentioned words along those lines as well. Is is that a similar case where they they came into the language? Uh, with with that prefix on there, like as as a self-contained unit, rather than as as two separate parts.
2: Yeah, because dissembled comes again from the Latin, and it it would become dis plus simulare, which means to make like. So then dissembled would be to make unlike, to make a false meaning, and that came in directly from um, the Latin, probably from via. The, I'm just looking right now. Dissembler, yeah, from the French, from the old French. Again, it came in directly. And these a lot of these words came when the Normans, of course, um, invaded England and they brought in their French words and they, they brought them in all connected together and they entered the English language. But we don't assemble. Maybe we can assemble a little bit, but I don't, I don't know. Well, but, that, but
1: it's interesting because we we've do assemble, dis- uh, but we have assemble.
0: Exactly. That's exactly where I was headed.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but that would again be the same thing, I'm sure. Assemble would be, I guess it would be from simulari as well. Of course, it's from Latin a simulare, which is to make like, to pretend, and then apparently then it changed meaning a little bit because in Latin it means to copy more, or to make, to compare.
0: But again, it's another, it's it's still another word that came in as as a, a like I said a self-contained unit. Mm-hmm. Todd also mentioned uh, demoralize um, as as not being the opposite of moralize.
1: That is interesting. That is a very odd one. That one I, I actually didn't even go into because, yeah, you think moralize as in, like, because although, wait a second, I'm looking at the etymology now, and they're saying- I they am too. From, go, The Kathy. French, I, I, I cannot pronounce the French, Ross can, but it meant to corrupt or undermine the morals or moral principles of- and then it went into to undermine the morale of so it actually did initially it's it's archaic, but it did initially mean the opposite. It was like a not moralize. you know it was a it was a anti-moralized oh fantastic
0: and so things have just shifted over time and we've kind of lost that meaning Mm
1: -hmm. yeah that I did not know that that's interesting I'm glad Todd asked this yeah Yeah,
2: I am too I didn't know this either I'm looking at the same thing it's very interesting it is interesting though how I mean language I mean in language words change frequently in terms of, of precise definitions
0: This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod or email me at powell at KMUW.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts. Those reviews really do help us out quite a lot. So just take a couple seconds, type one up. We'll appreciate it. The book You're Saying It Wrong was published by 10 Speed Press. You can find that and Kathy and Ross Petras's newest book, That Doesn't Mean What You Think It Means, at your local independent bookstore. Kathy and Ross have written a lot more. They've got a number of other things either coming out soon or in the works, and you can check out their other work through their website, That's kandrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S dot com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks. Oh, and one more thing, eh, sort of. Just to give you a little extra peek behind the curtain, I'll mention this conversation was a decent bit longer. We also talked about words like inept and disgruntled, but there was some confusion with each of them, lots of Latin root talk, kind of got in the weeds. We had about a half a dozen theories on disgruntled, one of which ended up with Kathy actually making pig noises, so I decided to spare you that. Ah, who am I kidding? Of course I'm gonna play you Kathy's pig noises. (coughs) (laughs) Again. 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 But all that to say this conversation—wait, I have to hear it again. Okay, now all that to say this conversation could go on for a long time. And essentially, like Kathy said at the beginning, it just sort of depends whether the words really do have prefixes or whether they came into the language as one unit and can't be separated into parts. And then there are suffixes, which are a whole other thing. Well, actually, they're mostly the exact same thing. Did they come into the language in parts or as a whole? But like Ross was saying there at the end, language is always changing and precise definitions are changing. And this is just a part of that. And really, it's the beauty and joy of a living language. Things change. It's fun to follow it and wonder about it and try to figure out just why we do what we do. It's part of what makes us human. Well, mostly human. (laughs)